Welcome to the Birth Debrief, a safe place where women and families are invited to share their stories of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum journeys. The Birth Debrief centers experiences that may be difficult for others to hear. We are lifting the lid on topics that aren't often spoken about. Loss, infertility, obstetric violence, birth trauma, discrimination, and so much more. If you are processing any trauma or pain from your parenting and birth experiences, please consider whether listening to these stories may be right for you at this moment in time. In today's episode, I interview Shanti. Shanti is a young mum living in Byron with her fiancé, her five-month-old Henry, and her angel baby Elliot, who would now be two years old. Shanti talks about her three pregnancies and her experiences dealing with pregnancy after loss and an unwanted abortion. I really enjoyed speaking with Shanti as I can see a lot of similarities between her story and mine. It's always so therapeutic to speak to others who have walked the same or similar paths to you, and I hope that this episode brings some of you the same sense of validation and healing. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to be interviewed by me today. I was so thrilled when I got your submission form through to me. These are such important conversations that I'm really keen to be telling everyone. So thank you. And I guess we should start with you introducing yourself and your family and telling me a little bit about yourself and and whereabouts you're based at the moment. Um, thank you for having me. So I'm from Byron Bay, actually. So my name is Shanti. I'm currently 19 years old and I have two boys, Elliot, who would have been two in November and Henry, who is actually only five months today. So how were your, how were your pregnancies with, with your boys? Were they planned or unexpected? You tell me a little bit about your first one. Um, so I've actually been pregnant three times. Two of my pregnancies were planned, but the first one wasn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I haven't actually talked about this with like a lot of people, but my first pregnancy, I was actually 16 and I was in an incredibly abusive relationship. And so that's obviously how I got pregnant. Um, so about nine months into the relationship, I got pregnant and he obviously wanted me to get rid of it and he was pretty controlling so I was kind of forced into the situation which was pretty hard. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, so I kind of went along with it because he was threatening to kill himself if I didn't which was pretty hard to deal with. Um, Yeah, I can imagine. Did you have much support around you at that time as well being so young did you have family or friends or anyone else that you could kind of lean on um no not really so because of the relationship I had actually wasn't allowed to talk to any of my friends anymore at that stage which so I was kind of alone in all of it um yeah that's really hard yeah so as much as I hated having it done though and like Obviously, it's still really hard to talk about, but without having that, like, happen, I would have never met my fiancé and I would have never had my two boys. So, in a way, I'm kind of glad that I did have it happen because I would have never gotten out of that relationship. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, even in a 
a normal, healthy relationship. There's so much shame around um, having terminations and having abortions and all of that sort of stuff that I, I can't imagine how much harder it would have been for you with a whole raft of other things that you've got to consider as well, being in an abusive relationship, being so young, it being your first pregnancy and not having any support network around you. Yeah. So did you want to talk about how you moved on from there or I'm just um, trying to be sensitive about what, what, um, what areas you want to delve into or not, but did you want to talk about how you got moved on from that situation and, and um, found your fiancé? Um, well, so I think it was like maybe two weeks after I had that happen. Um, so he actually broke up with me on Christmas. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I just after that, that was the second time that it had happened because he was wanting me to kind of like learn my lesson and behave the next time around. Ugh. So yeah, it was pretty horrible. So I finally just said no and just like blocked him off everything and kind of got him out of my life. And how did you get to that stage where you just was it a hard decision to make or did you somehow get up the courage to to decide that you weren't going to be in that position anymore and that you were going to take control of your life like I, I just can't even imagine being in a position like that yeah so after like months of not being allowed to talk to my friends um I kind of just got the courage to message one of my friends and the whole entire time I felt like I couldn't because I felt like they wouldn't believe me about stuff that was happening or they'd like judge me for things that I did. But I just kind of like offloaded onto this one friend. And so she kind of just gave me advice and talked to him as well and just kind of got me out of that situation. So I'm so incredibly thankful for having her because I really didn't realize until later on in the relationship how messed up everything was because it was my first committed relationship. Yeah, yeah. And, and being so young too, I mean, uh, you have no experience in, in, in relationships and, and you're still growing up yourself, you know? Yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. So what, ha what happened after, after that period in your life? Yeah. So, um, I think it was about three weeks later, actually, that I ended up meeting my fiance and as cliche as it was, it was actually at a party, <laughs> which is the first party that I ever went to. And it was that whole entire moment that they have in the movies where like the music kind of just blurs out and everyone around you and it's just like you and the other person making eye contact. So it was really magical. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after, um, did you did you always always know that you wanted to have children? What was your perspective on birth and having children um, before you fell pregnant the first time? Um, yeah, I've always wanted kids since I was like pretty young, actually, and I've always kind of wanted like a big family of my own and like adopting kids as well. So I knew that it was definitely something that I wanted to do, and especially when I was younger as well, just not as young as I am now. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Were you, um, how did you feel when, when you fell pregnant the first time? I can imagine it must've been like a, a whole raft of conflicting feelings between being happy and also being scared. And yeah, um, I was like, I was happy that it had happened the first time, but at the same point in time, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be in a situation where I could have kept that baby and I know that he wouldn't have wanted me to. And there was no way in that mental state that I was in after dealing with all of the stuff that he did 
hoping that I would have been able to do it by myself. So I kind of just had to, I suppose, make that hard decision that I didn't really want to. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And after all of that happened, how did you feel about possibly falling pregnant again? And were you worried that it might affect your parenting journey and birth journeys going forward? Or did you kind of just leave that in the past and and move on and, and start afresh? Um, it was really hard when I got pregnant again. Um, it was obviously like constantly on my mind and it also added extra anxiety to my next pregnancy as well for some reason. Like I just felt like something would go wrong the entire time because it didn't turn out how I wanted it to the last time. At what what point into your new relationship with your now fiancé did you fall pregnant the second time? Um, So it was actually only five months into the relationship that I had gotten pregnant again. Wow. Yeah. Were you excited? Uh, Yeah, definitely. It definitely felt like it was like a second chance and like the universe was saying like you're allowed to have this in some way. Some good karma going your way. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me about your pregnancy, your your second pregnancy and your your mind frame at the time and and just how your pregnancy went. Yeah, so um, my mind frame was obviously really happy. However, around eight weeks, I actually started to have a really big feeling that something just wasn't right and the pregnancy really just didn't turn out how I wanted it to at all. Um, So I actually didn't even find out until I was pregnant with Henry that at eight weeks, the heart actually splits into four chambers. And I didn't actually have that happen when I was pregnant with Elliot. So did they find that out in a scan or...? Um, yeah, so it was at the anatomy scan, which was around 20 weeks, I think. So at the anatomy scan, we found out that he had a hyperplastic left heart transpositioning of the great arteries and a hyperplastic aortic heart. Wow. How did you feel at that point? Um, at that point, it was actually really hard because early on in my pregnancy, I had a lot of people around me telling me, that I should have another abortion and my brother was threatening to kill my fiancé because, you know, I was 17, well, 16 at the time and pregnant again. All of this stuff. And the week before my anatomy scan, I actually had someone message me and tell me that they wished that my baby would die inside of me. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm so sorry you went through that. Yeah, so it was obviously pretty hard having to deal with it all and being like 16, 17 and kind of losing a baby for the second time that you like want. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, how how was how were things with your partner now fiance at the time? Um yeah, it was alright, I guess. Um it was obviously pretty hard on him as well. I think he was 19 when we found out what was wrong yeah what happened in your pregnancy after then did what course of action did you guys take um so we were given three options when we found out what was wrong with his heart so the first one was to go full term and have three open heart surgeries and if they survived all of them 
then also have a heart transplant, but there was not a lot of certainty with that because most hyperplastic left hearts have at least some part of the left chamber. But Elliot had absolutely no like left section. Hmm. Um, so they weren't really certain that the surgeries would work. And even if they did, he'd only have 60 to 70% oxygen and he would have brain damage and he'd help in school and seizures and like just a giant list. It's so hard coming to a crossroads like that when you've got all of this trauma and experience behind you and you're in a place where you thought things were back on track and then you're delivered news like that. And I've had similar news delivered to me and I couldn't comprehend all of the information that was being given to me. And then on top of that, I was doing my own research and just being at that crossroad where I had to make that decision, I can really empathize with the position that you were in then. And I can only imagine how much harder it would have been for you being so much younger and and just not knowing what to do. How did how did you get through that time? Um well I just I suppose I didn't really have a choice, but at the like the day after we found out what was wrong, because the other option was either go full term and have palliative care, which is basically just comfort them until they pass away. Um, or be induced early. And so I really wanted to originally do the surgery because I felt like if I didn't, then I was just giving up on him Mm. and like, I should try everything that I can to give him like a good life. But even if I had done the surgery, there was no guarantee that he would have a good life. And that's what I wanted. Um, so yeah, a couple of days later, I had decided that I wanted to be induced on a 21st because my due date was the 21st of February. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the whole entire time before I was induced, I kind of just, like, sat around lying in bed because I didn't really know what to do. It felt like my body had failed me because, you know, there's people that can drink and do drugs and there's, like, people that actually kill their children after they die and they were all capable of growing a baby, right? Hmm. So that was really hard, kind of like I had done everything that I could have and it still didn't work out. Did it Did it put a strain on your relationship as well or, or were you guys kind of solid throughout all of this? Um, yeah, like it, it did obviously put a strain on our relationship and it was a lot harder, especially for him because he's the type of person that's like, okay, I'm going to look after everyone else around me but not look after myself. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so we didn't really talk a lot um, for quite a long time. Like, we'd obviously still, like, have small conversations here and there, but we didn't really talk a lot, which made it a lot harder to go through it all. Yeah, definitely. Did you seek support while you were going through all of this, or did the hospital link you up with any services that might have helped you you process your grief? Um, They didn't actually link me up with, like, anyone until after I had given birth but I decided that I didn't want it because I've tried you know counseling that in the past and it really just didn't help at all yeah 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 that's really appalling that they didn't try to especially because you were so young they didn't try to link you up with people that could help you and and support you throughout all of that yeah oh mama 
That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. So you decided to be induced early. What? How far along were you when that happened? Um, so by the time that I was induced, um, I was actually 20 weeks, six weeks and six days, the day that I had been induced. Yeah. So it was a lot further along than people would normally be induced when they find out that their baby has that. So originally I had wanted to have the birth that I originally planned at the hospital that I planned. And so I did actually go there to talk to, I think she was like the head midwife or unit manager or something like that. Um, to see if it was possible, but it wasn't. Um, and in that appointment, she actually told me the gender of the baby just before I left. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, so I like we don't really find out the gender of our babies except for that time around um, until they're born. So I really wasn't at all expecting that. But she had said it like it was a question, and like she wanted me to confirm that what she had been told was correct so I was just like um well I don't know oh my god it's not it's not that difficult to ask a simple question before going into a position like that and just saying are you finding out the sex of your baby just the smallest of mistakes that health professionals make in really sensitive situations like this can have the most profound effects on on the woman or the family yeah definitely I feel like I'm going to be saying this a lot, but I'm sorry that happened to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you probably will be saying it a lot. Like, Elliot's pregnancy was really bad, but then Henry's was just so much worse, and I was honestly surprised at how bad parts of it were. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So it's kind of just downhill from here. just warning you now. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. I'm here for you. (laughs) Did you want to talk about the induction and the birth process at all or did you want to yeah yeah I can talk about it okay sure well whatever whatever you're comfortable sharing do you understand what would be involved in an induction process did you kind of have visibility of what that would involve um yeah I did and obviously because I was only 26 27 weeks when he was born I knew that it would take a very long time for my body to go into labor yeah so The day before I was induced, I had to go in and have some tablet. I don't remember what it was for. I think it was for like stomach ulcers or something, but it would also soften your cervix. So I took that and then the next day I went in and at nine in the morning, I think it was, I started some, I don't remember what the name of the two tablets were, but they had to insert them vaginally and put them behind your cervix. Yeah, yeah, that's what I had when I um was induced with um at 20 weeks with our second baby as well. Yeah. Um I should probably also say they did also want me to get the potassium shot which wanted like which would have stopped his heart, but I I really just couldn't do that because with everything already going on and then going in and having a potassium shot to stop his heart, I felt like I was the reason that he was dying. So I kind of refused that. And so they didn't really know if he would be born alive or not, especially because of how far along I was. And did they, were they supportive of your choices during this birth? Were they happy to, uh, to um, oblige you in your choices? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The people that looked after me were 
really lovely and definitely supported all of my choices surrounding everything. Okay, that's really good. That's one one good thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so around, I think it was one in the morning, they decided to stop giving me the tablets for the night because my cervix was still completely closed and hard and really hadn't done anything at all. And then I woke up, I want to say like 2.30 in the morning because I had a lot of pressure in my lower back. And so I went to the bathroom because I thought I needed to pee. Um, so after I finished peeing, there was just like a small gush of water. And I was like, oh, no, like shit, like my water's broken. But I didn't want to tell anyone because I was like, okay, like this is actually happening now. Like it's getting closer to like going into labor. Well, I already am in labor and saying goodbye to them. And so I kind of just kept it quiet a little bit, but things picked up really quickly. And he was actually born like within the next hour. Wow. Yeah. Did you did you have staff with you at the point when he was born? Did you call staff in or? Um, yeah, I did. So I had my mom with me because she was taking photos of her whole process for me which was really lovely and my fiance was there as well um so he was born at 3 29 in the morning and he ended up being stillborn because of the heart condition that he had yeah so that was I suppose kind of hard but at the same time I didn't actually cry until probably four hours later when I had handed him to my fiance because I suppose at that moment I realized like and it kind of kicked in that okay this is actually happening and I actually have to say goodbye to him soon yeah that that at that point it's really hard isn't it yeah um a little bit after he was born as well I want to say maybe 30 minutes afterwards um he started to go cold and so I didn't actually realize until probably 30 minutes of me doing it, but I kept trying to keep him warm and move my hands around. Um, so, yeah, that was obviously really hard because it's like, I can't keep him warm, you know, like, he's died. And that's this is what you want to do when you're a mum. You want to look after them and you want to keep them warm and do everything possible. But I couldn't do that. Oh, that's so tough. Um, so we stayed at the hospital for two nights because I actually ended up with a really high fever from the tablets that they gave me. And so they had to give me, like, a full round of antibiotics for, I think it was, like, 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. So that was really annoying, having to deal with that on top of losing a child. And then Mm. I couldn't leave him at the hospital. Like, it just felt wrong. So we brought him home for two nights as well. Um, And then he was picked up. I was going to ask what the process was after, after the birth. Because with my birth, um, with our second child, it was 19 weeks and six days. So technically we were able to take take our baby home with us and I wasn't sure what the process would be for you. Yeah, so before we left the hospital, um, 
they had to fill out a whole heap of forms in case we were stopped by police to say, like, yes, we have permission to have, you know, a baby in the car and be taking them home. Yeah. We, we're just running on autopilot at this point, just. Yeah, basically. <laughs> How was your partner throughout all of this? Um, he actually had to go to work the very next day after he was born. Mm. Yeah, so that was pretty hard for him. I honestly don't really know how he, like, handled that still and having to go to work and all of it. He was, he's a pretty quiet person, so I suppose he kind of just kept to himself and... Yeah. For lots of people and... I don't want to generalize, but at least, especially in, in my case as well, for lots of men in situations like this, it's harder for them to voice what has happened and admit what has happened to take the time off work or to explain to people why you can't be certain places or, or you know, go to certain events and things like that. So they just carry on with normal life uh, and and not tell anyone because it's just easier than having to um, have those hard and vulnerable conversations. Yeah, definitely. Did you um, – how did you feel after your loss? Did you feel the need to talk to people about it or did you feel the pressure to kind of sweep it under the rug and, and not tell anyone about it? Um, Like my partner, I'm not really – the kind of person to talk to other people and I don't know I just I kind of felt bad for other people as well if I had talked about what had happened because I felt like I was interrupting them and like they wouldn't want to hear about it that's really hard did you have anyone that you could talk to about it your mom or I mean your mom was obviously there so did you feel comfortable enough discussing it with her um yeah I definitely did that's good. Yeah. So um, when we brought Elliot home, uh, we had to keep him on ice, which was kind of hard, like trying to juggle keeping him on ice and like wanting to hold him and like doing like foot casts and little hand casts before he got picked up by the funeral service. Yeah. Yeah. So he – actually the night before he was picked up, I – probably sounds crazy but um just before I had gone to sleep there was actually a super bright blue orb just kind of floating there for like a minute so I kind of take that as like his like I'm like it's gonna be okay like for him and me yeah that's his presence um so yeah I, I think it was then six months after we had lost him um, and I kind of started to be able to look at like kids again and pregnant women without getting upset and so it was at that point that we had decided that we wanted to try and have another baby again Um, and then last year I actually got a positive on Father's Day yeah so that was that was really special how did you feel how did you feel heading into another pregnancy did you were you scared where was your mind at at that point at that point i think i was just kind of like okay just act like 
it's not a thing. And then once we have the anatomy scan and know that everything's all right, then I can be happy about it. But once the anatomy scan had happened, I was actually more upset than I was prior. Falling pregnant after having a loss is just, I, I can't even put into words just every step. Like it seems like every direction you go and every step you take, there's something else that you need to consider and something else that you need to deal with. Um, no, nothing you do is not affected by your previous loss. And it just feels like you're constantly battling new things all the time. I know. It's so hard to kind of just like turn it off and be like, it's like a new pregnancy and try and not worry about it because that's always going to be in the back of your mind that absolutely anything can go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. How did, how did the actual anatomy scan go? Um, so yeah, that was completely fine. We had it at 18 weeks and then we had to go back again at 23 weeks to have a growth scan and a scan with the cardiologist to kind of just like double check that everything was totally all right. Okay. Yeah. And, and what was, um, where were you planning on, on birthing for this pregnancy? What, what mode of care did you decide to go with? Um, okay, so originally I had decided that I wanted to go to a birthing center and I had had my first appointment with them. But then after we got the scan results back, they had then said that they weren't taking me anymore. Um, and their excuse was that if something were to go wrong, then an actual hospital would be more equipped to handle the situation whilst I was in labor, yet their policy is if something goes wrong, then they're going to transport me to another hospital. So that didn't really make sense there. Yeah, so they were just deeming you as high risk. Yeah, but my pregnancy, like all pregnancies, unless it has, you know, a heart defect again, then is completely low risk and I have the same exact risks as everyone else during labor. Yeah, that's another big thing that not many people know about is once you've experienced a loss uh, heading into future pregnancies, <clears throat> you're more often than not considered high risk and it, it not only affects obviously what's happened to you in the past but also any pregnancy and birth that you have in the future as well, which is like a, another roadblock that you need to overcome. Yeah, definitely. So I ended up going to a hospital that was an hour away from me. Wow. Yeah. So there was only one other hospital like within – it was either 30 minutes away or an hour, um, but the one closer to me really isn't the best hospital and is kind of run down and really should be kind of shut down because of how bad it is. Right. So you didn't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to take the hour drive even if I'm in labor. I don't really care. Yeah, and they had um, a shower with two heads and, like, a giant birth pool and a window, like, as long as the wall. And it was just a really nice birthing room there that they had as well, which is another reason why I wanted to go there. Yeah, your environment matters so much to your, you know, can really affect how where your head's at at that point in time. Yeah, um, because I live so far away, though, I wasn't actually allowed to have continuous care, which I really wanted. Yeah. Yeah, so that kind of messed me up a little bit, I suppose, whilst I was in labor. So, and you, out of all people, would definitely have benefited from having one person that you could talk to the entire time. 
you know, to form that rapport and get that relationship and they can get an understanding of your complete history and understand what it is that you want and why it, why you are the way you are, you know, it really makes such a difference. Yeah, um, half the time that I had my appointments as well, they couldn't even access my file. So every single appointment I had, I had to go in, I had to explain everything that had happened with Elliot, try and recap my entire pregnancy and then remember questions on top of that. Oh my goodness. I can't believe that. Yeah. So, and they like, they had it written down on paper as well, but half the time they didn't really read it. So I still had to explain everything that has happened. Yeah. That's so hard. <laughs> yeah. What mode of care did you end up? Did you have to do GP shared care then for your pregnancy? Um, I was offered it. However, I didn't particularly want to have to do it. I wanted to try and meet as many midwives as I could so that I possibly would have ended up with one that I knew. Okay. So did you have to drive the hour to the hospital for each of your appointments? Um, yeah, I did. So they were only like three to two weeks apart. So yeah, it wasn't like a weekly thing that I had to do, which was good. And how are you feeling as your pregnancy kind of progressed? You said that after your 20-week scan, things got a little harder for you, that you were upset again. Yeah, things definitely got a lot harder. And on top of it all, I have something. I'm assuming that I'm going to have it with all future pregnancies as well, but my uterus is, like, extremely irritable. And so I'm constantly having, like, contractions that go for four hours minimum, like, basically every single day. Wow. From, from what, at what point in your pregnancy? Um, so it usually starts around 20 weeks where it's really bad the first time. And then around 35 weeks, it becomes a daily thing where it's four hours minimum that it happens. Yeah. <laughs> There's something to be said for having good labor practice, but I mean, that's just over the top. <laughs> yeah. So whenever I would bring it up to like a new midwife, they'd constantly be like, Oh no, it's just Braxton Higgs. Like, you just have a UTI. Like, the test is negative though. Like, yeah. So, they didn't really listen to me on any of that. So, I kind of just stopped bringing it up because every single time I was just met with the same answer. Oh my God. Yeah. When did you figure out what it actually was? Did you do your own research or did you eventually find someone who was able to give you the accurate information on that? Um. So, I think it was around like 30 weeks that I started googling about it because you know I knew that it wasn't just like a UTI and it wasn't just Braxton Hicks because it's not normal to get them for four hours every single day not at all <laughs> yeah so I just kind of like researched that a little bit and then I had to bring it up later again like before I got induced as well yeah so I at 40 weeks, I had my next appointment and I requested to have a stretch and sweep because I was just like, by this point, I was like crying every single day because I'm like, I know that they're not safe in my body and I just want to hold them and know that they're okay. Oh, so your, your, your loss had really kind of thrown you around a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, so at 40 weeks, I was one centimeter and then at 40 weeks and four days, I had to go in for a CTG to just kind of like be monitored and all of that. And the midwife gave me another stretch and sweep, which I was two centimeters then. And when she actually like was doing it, her face was just absolutely shocked because my cervix was so incredibly like favorable, as she put it. And she was like surprised that I hadn't gone into labor yet. 
Yeah. Did she explain that to you at the time? Yeah, she did. Okay. How did you find the stretch and sweeps? Um, I actually couldn't feel them. I don't know if that's normal or not because they said that most people find it painful, but I didn't even really feel them doing it. I think it really varies, to be honest with you. I've had one before and I don't remember it being extremely painful um, and I was two centimeters when I had it done. I think that the more, the further dilated you are, the easier it is for the midwives to do, obviously. Um, so I think it highly depends on the position of your cervix at that time. Um, but yeah, I think it really varies. I've heard other women say that it, it wasn't an issue as well, but I know definitely that it can be quite painful for other people. Um, so she ended up asking me if I wanted to be induced and I was actually told that the doctor's would come and talk to me about it and how far I wanted to go before being induced, but they didn't actually do that. Right. Yeah, so they actually kind of messed up my induction dates a little bit because they didn't talk to me. <laughs> I'd love to be able to say I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, so they had booked me in for 40 weeks and like plus nine, so 40 weeks and two days. Sorry, 41 weeks and two days. Um, but they had written it down as the 23rd of May when I was 41 weeks and three days. Yeah, so they had like how far along I was, but they had put it down in the calendar as the wrong day, basically. So when did you end up – you did end up getting induced? Um, yeah, I did. So because I really didn't want to like have the possibility of going into labor – on the 21st or 22nd because that's when I was like being induced like with Elliot and so I knew that that was already going to heighten my anxiety around it all yeah definitely so when the midwife had come back and explained like hey you're set to be induced on the 23rd I kind of just started to cry and so she said that I could ring up on the Sunday because this was a Friday and see if there had been any cancellations for induction on the Monday, and then I could feel the spot. Mm. This next part's really bad. Um, <laughs> so on the Sunday, I ring up, and so I had to explain everything that happened with Elliot once again because it's a new person, and that I was asked to say, like, you know, if there was any free spots on the Monday. And so the midwife who was talking to me proceeds to tell me, there's absolutely no reason for you to be induced until you're 42 weeks. This pregnancy is low risk. Like, it's absolutely wrong for the doctors to do that. And now that you're being induced, you have a possibility to get an infection from your waters rupturing. You're going to need a C-section. You're going to get an epidural because it's going to be too painful. And you're possibly going to have your baby become distressed and pass away. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe that. Less than two minutes after I told her that my past baby died and she's like, your baby is possibly going to die from this as well. Yeah, like she was just labeling every single thing that could go wrong with being induced. Oh, my God. What did you say to her? Um, I kind of just like agreed with her and I was like, yep, yep, okay, like hung up. And then I realized that I could actually report what she said. So I filled out a complaint form online and then the unit manager ended up calling me the very next day. 
Um, so when the unit manager rang up, she had said, like, obviously she hadn't even bothered to look to see who had said it to me. She would just rang me up straight away as soon as she read it. It was just like, I cannot believe they said that to you at all. Yeah. Um, and then she had asked if anybody had booked me in for like, or asked if I wanted to have another CTG because I was going so far along, but nobody had asked me. Right. Yeah, so I ended up going in the very next day to have a CTG done again. I was 41 weeks and one day. And um, I think I was hooked up for like about an hour and then my contractions started to couple. So basically that's where there's like no break in between them. And I, so I was having anywhere from two to seven right on top of each other. Yeah, so she had to call in the obstetrician. And so he looked at it and was like, okay, well, you're set for an induction tomorrow. And I'm like, no, like it's the 23rd. What are you talking about? It's not the 22nd. And so he had said that he could change it back um, to the 23rd if I had wanted. And so I said that I wanted him to change it back probably three times. And he was still like, oh, no, like you're being induced tomorrow. And so at that point, it was like, no, like, I want to go home. I don't want it done tomorrow, and I'm going to come back on the 23rd. So he actually raised his hands together to his chest and was like, I would feel so much safer if you were here being monitored all night long, like, having a look at these contractions, and I would sleep so much better tonight knowing that you're here. <sighs> so This isn't but, about like, you. <laughs> I know. And then he's like proceeded to say after basically doing that, but it's okay if you want to go home, but I would feel safer if you're here. Why like laying the, the shame on you. That's just fucking appalling. Yeah. (sighs) So he's like, you can step outside, you know, talk to your partner about it. See what you want to do. Even though my partner was the one that said for me probably three times that like, you know, we were going to go home. And so I kind of just stepped outside and I just like cried because it was like, well, he's making it seem like if I leave that something bad's going to happen. Yeah. And and that happens so often, especially with C-sections and things like that when they I can give you a I can give you your baby healthy and safe in your arms in 5 minutes or you can risk it and continue laboring. Your choice. It's not a, it's not a choice when it's presented to you like that, is it? Like they just make you feel like a shit human. Yeah, it's really not ended up just being like yeah okay you know what like obviously I don't want another baby dying so I kind of just agreed to stay overnight and then be induced on the 22nd oh, babe. yeah so we went home to grab a whole of stuff which was like a two-hour round trip and by the time we got back it was I want to say like 3 p.m and then they had originally obviously told me that they wanted to monitor me overnight and they only gave me 30 minutes of monitoring the entire time and it was at 9 p.m. So you could have been at home, comfortable, yeah. happy, <laughs> safe. Oh, my God. Yeah, they made it seem like it was so serious and then it took them six hours of me sitting in a hospital room before they had even, like, hooked me up to a monitor again and then they only had it on for 30 minutes. That's not okay to say things like that and then – not follow through you know like and they wonder why we don't always trust what they're saying like was it just a lie you know yeah that's definitely how it felt yeah and you've got all this other stuff that you're emotionally dealing with as well you know not not to mention 
being right there and how did you feel in being in the hospital? Were you comfortable? Were you? Um, honestly, I don't know. Like, I was happy that I was finally there and, like, finally going to go into labor and, like, actually have this baby in my arms and know that they're okay. But at the same time, I had so much anxiety because both my boys were born on a Wednesday, which was a 22nd, and both of my labors started by my waters breaking. So that was just, like, added on top of the whole entire thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I woke up the next day and had my waters broken around, I think it was, like, 8.30 in the morning. Um, And then she had asked me if I had any plans for my labor and that. And I did actually have a birth plan sitting in my bag, but I didn't pull it out because one of the midwives was like, oh, well, nobody's going to follow it anyway, so there's no point in having one. They said that to you? Yeah, so in one of my, like, prenatal appointments that I had. Oh, my God. (laughs) So if I had pulled it out, however, I feel like this entire thing – that I'm about to tell you wouldn't have happened. And it was pretty simple birth plan as well. Like, it was just kind of things like, oh, delayed cord clamping. I'd want the vernix left alone, like a water birth, natural. Like, and I had actually written out one for if I needed an emergency C-section as well. Just because, you know, in case they had to pull me under, I couldn't really have a say in things. The thing is with birth plans, it's not like, it's not a birth plan. That's just a list of your rights, you know, <laughs> like you're yeah. more than entitled to have all of those things. Uh. So I obviously wanted to have like a natural birth, but around, I think it was 1 p.m. I was standing in the shower and every single contraction that I had, all I could think about was that midwife telling me that my baby's going to die. Mm. And then the entire break that I had, all I could think about was, Elliot's pregnancy and losing him and his birth so the entire contraction I was having a panic attack and then the entire two to three minute break I was crying oh my god um, <laughs> yeah so I like I know that if I had had continuous care then I would have been able to work through that because she would have known like what to say to me to get that me like out of that headspace and my fiance has no idea how to do that um yeah definitely you would have been much better off yeah, so I ended up getting the epidural because I knew that as long as that contraction is there and getting worse, my anxiety is only going to get worse over it. Yeah, I often say to people when I'm um, in the birth space is that your body will take care of itself. It's just your mind that you need to control. And if yeah. if you keep letting your head, your mind get ahead of you, it just gets harder and harder to catch up to get into the zone that you need to be in. Yeah, definitely. Did you feel better once you had the epidural oh my god it was like immediate just like relief with all of the anxiety over everything and I'm honestly so glad that I had gotten it because there was no way that I was going to be able to have a natural birth in that situation and like having a panic attack the entire time yeah without the support that's the thing about aiming for a natural birth it's um less about the physical side and more about the mental side. You just need to have a good support team around you and you need to have, you know, the right emotional support to be able to achieve that. It's less about what happens in the moment and more about the preparations that you've done beforehand. But with everything that you had coming at you from all different angles, it's no wonder that you couldn't get into that space, you know? Yeah. So when I got the epidural, I was at five centimeters Um, and then, so after I had had that, my midwife who was looking after me at the time was like, okay, I'm just going to have a lunch break. 
And then I'll put the catheter in like after an hour because you don't really need it straight away. Like I obviously didn't research what you needed with an epidural because I didn't plan on having one. Yeah, yeah. And that's their job to tell you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So the midwife who is then looking after me on her break, she walks in and is like, okay, I'm going to give you a catheter now. I'm like, oh, no, it's okay. Like my midwife's going to give it to me when she comes back from her lunch break. And I look up and she's already opened up all the packets and waiting for me. I'm like, oh, God, okay. Um, So I kind of just let her do it anyways. And then it was like obviously the midwife swap over for the shift change and around 4.50 the obstetrician that had like spoke to me the day before walked in and he looked at my contractions and he's like oh okay so your contractions are slowing down instead of one every three minutes they've gone to one every five I want you to have this in tocin because you know your like body is slowing down and it's not meant to be doing this mind you I didn't actually realize this until last week Nobody had checked me in four hours at this point, but he had told me that, you know, I need to have the syntocin. And uh, you were having contractions, like consistent contractions. Yeah, yeah. I At the time, I didn't really understand what he was saying, and so I kind of just let him give it to me. And I did actually question myself because I was like, okay, well, they didn't want to originally induce me with this because I told them four times that I had an irritable uterus but I actually stopped myself I was like okay well he already knows this information he wouldn't be saying that I need to have syntocin if he knows that it's going to have a bad side effect so 10 minutes later after they had given it to me both my heart and Henry's heart had gone up to 170 so I think mine was like 90 before or something like that and his was 140 yeah you're running a marathon (laughs) yeah um so the midwife had to turn it off and she pumped a whole heap of like fluids through to try and like see if that would help at all but it didn't and so at this point in time I actually felt like I needed to push but she walked over and was like okay the entire doctor team needs to come in and talk to you so I kind of forgot about that and I think it was like eight maybe nine maybe ten doctors walk in and So it's obviously already enough anxiety as it is. And then having all these people there staring at me just made it a lot worse. I was like, okay, it's like something serious about to happen. Um, So they just kind of start like poking me with needles and taking blood and asking me questions. And like, is this your first pregnancy? Like, do you have any disorders? Like all this thing. And then this one doctor had asked me if I had had an EKG before to kind of just, like, monitor my heart. And I was like, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, I've had one. And so she rips down the thing, like, without even telling me and just starts sticking them everywhere. Yeah, so that was pretty uncomfortable, having, like, ten random doctors that I have no idea who they are just staring at me lying on a bed with my boobs out. Uh, You're in one of the most vulnerable positions that you will ever be in. Yeah. And asking you questions about previous pregnancies, which are laden with trauma and hard things to talk about. Like. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so I think it was like 30 minutes later, they stopped like doing everything. And one of the doctors had asked to check me because obviously by this point it had been four and a half hours since anyone had checked me. Um, 
And so I was fully dilated at that point. I'm also thinking maybe she wanted to check me because if I wasn't, then they might have wanted to give me a C-section. Yeah, it, that's what I was thinking when you first said that they brought a whole team of doctors in. I thought that that's what was going to be said next. <laughs> yeah, so I'm guessing like they would have told me to have that if I wasn't dilated by that point. Did they explain to you when the whole team of doctors walked in, did, they, did anyone sit by your side like any of the midwives or anyone tell you what they were there for or what they were testing for or what they were worried about um all the midwife said to me was it's because both of your heart rates have gone up to 170 that's all I was told the entire time right so there was no like we think it's because of this or this is possibly going to happen it was just this is your heart rate like now make up your mind on what you know you think is going to happen Um, so obviously I started to push because I was fully dilated. And so I had, I think it was like seven people in the room, only two of which I knew. And that was one of the doctors and a midwife. And then there was some random dude standing in the corner the entire time. You didn't know who it was or what they were there for? I have no idea who anyone was. I'm thinking maybe the guy that was standing in the corner the entire time that I was pushing and being stitched up was part of like a resource team or something. I'm not sure. Like, nobody really said a word to me about what was going on except for, you need a push, and, oh, my God, the heart rate's gone up to 190 now. So after his heart went up to 190, one of the doctors had said, okay, I'm going to need to give you an episiotomy. And at this point, I'm like, okay, no, I don't want one. Um, And I know if you go on your hands and knees that it usually happens a lot quicker because of gravity. Yeah. Yeah, so I turned around which was really incredibly hard because I had had an epidural um <laughs> so I probably looked so stupid trying to do it um haven't actually watched the birth video yet did you have but... anyone helping you did your did the midwife help you to reposition um yeah she did so I think I was like turned around for like three contractions and then they had me turn back to lie on my back because I was pushing better that way um And then the doctor went ahead and gave me the episiotomy, which I really didn't want. What was the conversation around that? Was it, were you really given a choice? Did you feel like you had a choice or? Um, Absolutely not. All it was that had happened and that I was being told was the heart rate's gone up to 190. We need to give you an episiotomy. And then they turned me back around and she gave me the episiotomy. Oh my God. Yes. So after that, I think his heart rate was still like getting higher as well. And then he was finally born after 33 minutes of pushing. After the episiotomy? Yeah, after the episiotomy. So was his head crowning when they gave you the episiotomy or do Um, you know? Yeah, it was. So the, like, I want to say maybe like five minutes after I started pushing, he was already crowning. And then his heart rate just kept getting higher. So the entire time that I was actually pushing, because nobody was telling me anything, I was like, okay, I don't want this baby to die like that midwife said, and I don't want a C-section. And they're all just like yelling at me to push, which I obviously was. Um, And then, so after he was born, I think it was like maybe 15, 20 seconds, and he still wasn't crying, and the midwife was just rubbing him down the entire time. So I actually pulled my arms back because I was like, oh, shit, like, is he like gonna breathe because obviously I don't know what's normal for like a living baby and how long it takes for them to cry because you know in movies they cry straight away so that was 
kind of terrifying and plus he was like pretty insanely blue as well was he was he with you or did they take him over to one of the beds the resource beds um no like he was with me and the entire time so the midwife was just like kind of rubbing him down with a towel like whilst he was on top of me to get him to breathe yeah yeah so once he started breathing then she passed him to me and then the midwife that was actually on my left was like holy shit like this baby has to be at least four kilos. Um, so he actually ended up being 4.49 kilos, which is 9 pound 14. So obviously nobody expected that, especially because I kind of measured normal the entire time and I'm incredibly small as well. He was just hiding away. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, it was really funny as well because afterwards my partner's like, oh, he's so fat. And the midwife's like, hey, no body shaming. <laughs> did so did you you know that he was going to be a boy um no I didn't so it was a surprise gender yeah yeah so that was kind of nice yeah I was gonna say how was that moment for you considering you had your previous pregnancy was a boy as well yeah no I I did actually want a boy with our rainbow baby and one of the reasons that I also didn't want to find out with this time around, like my partner really wanted to, but I knew that if I found out it was a boy, my anxiety would have been so much worse. Like, because it's like, I would have been comparing everything. And then if I found out that it was a girl, I would have been slightly disappointed. Yeah. I can 100% empathize with you on that. I um, declined to find out with our rainbow baby as well for the exact same reason, because I thought that I might, be disappointed and then I would feel guilty about being disappointed and as you would know having a pregnancy after a loss you're already dealing with so much emotional baggage that I just wanted to kind of protect myself from having to deal with anything else yeah how was that moment when you found out that he was a boy oh it was absolutely amazing (laughs) especially having like you know a living baby in your arms for the first time yeah yeah that would have been so emotional yeah and so like after they finished stitching me up and all of that I actually looked over to my right and my partner was standing there with a box which obviously had an engagement ring in it oh my goodness yeah like I'm still covered in blood and lying in a puddle of blood and like water and I'm disgusting and he's like will you marry me oh that is so sweet yeah so that made it a lot better obviously and I actually had told him that he had to wait until I was no longer pregnant so that he could propose to me so he he (sighs) kind of waited like an hour after I'd given birth that's hilarious yeah (laughs) he would have been a ball of nerves throughout your labor I mean not only watching you go through all of that and not really being able to help um but also thinking about proposing to you straight afterwards as well yeah oh that's so beautiful that's the first time I've heard of that (laughs) (laughs) yeah the midwife turned around she's like oh my god no like do it again so I can take a photo that's definitely a unique proposal (laughs) yeah Um, And then so obviously like after I had a shower and cleaned up and all of that, I went to walk back to my room and the midwife who was the one originally like kind of looking after me because it was her shift, I had overheard her say that she thought it was going to be a shoulder dystocia if not a full body dystocia. So that was kind of just like, okay, well, I'm glad I didn't know about that whilst I was in labor. 
Yeah, it, it's a fine line between, I mean, we want the people that are taking care of us to give us all the information that we need, but only the information that is necessary, you know, um, yeah. especially for someone in your position who is already suffering from anxiety and all of these other things that have come up from your previous pregnancies. It's a fine line between what you want to know and what's going to help you and what's going to hinder you in the process. Yeah. Oh, how was your postpartum? Or how is your postpartum? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a mess, really. Um, so the day after I woke up, I actually looked out the window and there was actually a double rainbow, Aww. which was really amazing. That's so sweet. Yeah, definitely wasn't expecting that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, and then I'm, I don't know if it was due to the fact that I had had the episiotomy because I couldn't be bothered doing the pelvic floor exercises after 35 weeks or the fact that he was giant, but I actually ended up with a prolapsed bladder. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, originally I was like, okay, maybe this is normal because, you know, everyone always says they can't hold their bladder properly after having kids. But I think it was like two weeks postpartum where I could actually feel like something sitting inside my vagina. So it was pretty bad at that point. And I had brought it up at henry's one month appointment and so the midwife or i don't really know what she was like family health care nurse something like that like local to you yeah she had kind of like confirmed that that's what it was right see did did you have any information about that while you were pregnant did you know that that's something that could happen or um no definitely not mm. like i i knew that it was like a possibility say if you like exercise too much after giving birth you can get something like a prolapsed uterus or whatever but I didn't realize that that could you know kind of just happen from like doing nothing but having all of that happen during labor. Did you get support for that? Um, so I was offered physiotherapy um, for it but I was kind of like I've had enough of people shoving their hand on my vagina I don't want that every single week now. So true right? <laughs> yeah um so I kind of just declined that and just did the exercises like every single day and I still have to do them every single day now. Yeah, and you would still have been healing at that point as well. The idea of like anything else going to your vagina at that point is not really nice to think about. Yeah, definitely not. How did you heal from your episiotomy? Um, yeah, so it was actually pretty all right with the healing. However, I think it was like a week after I had given birth, one of this like the end of the stitch that was sticking out because it was a continuous one actually got caught on a pad as I was taking it off and ripped out oh yeah so that was pretty painful for about a week whilst that like tiny little hole was healing yeah so that was pretty bad oh, oh that gave me shivers thinking of that <laughs> Yeah, it's not something that you would think would happen. Yeah, yeah. I tore my stitches with my first, um, my first child as well. But I was I was being stupid and exercising too soon after birth, and getting the stitches was the worst part of my birth experience because they didn't wait for the local uh, to to sink in and before they started stitching me up. So I felt all of it. Then when I tore them out, my G my local GP offered to do them again, and I was like, no way. I will heal naturally, thank you. <laughs> yeah. 
How do you feel about your birth experience looking back on it now? Does it all feel like it seem like a bit of a blur to you or? Um, so the first, I want to say like month and a half after giving birth, it was like, oh yeah, my birth's fine. Like nothing went wrong. But then two months after giving birth, I'm like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> like so much bad shit happened during my pregnancy and like around the induction and whilst I was pushing and just looking back at it, it kind of makes me upset over it all. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's so far removed from what you were hoping to have with your birth experience. Yeah, it's like I had one thing and I got the complete opposite of what I had wanted. Did you come up against feelings of at least I've got a healthy baby and a live baby this time? Did that kind of pop up to you at all? Oh, yeah, definitely. In the start, I was like, well, at least I have a living baby this time. And then it's just like, no, no, like I I need more than that. That's the bare minimum that we should be achieving. Yeah. Uh, A live baby. (laughs) It's definitely something that we want to achieve, but it doesn't negate everything else that happens to women in their birth experiences. Yeah, like I would have liked to have been able to come out of that like with a living baby and also not more traumatized than my stillbirth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. How do you feel about – I know you're you're still so early on in your postpartum journey with – with your little baby, but do you think that your birth experience, looking back on it now, affects how you feel about birth in general? And do you think it will have a, a big impact on you leading into any future pregnancies that you might have? Um, yeah, definitely. Like, honestly, at this point in time, I'm terrified to give birth again, but I know for the future now of kind of more things that I need to prepare myself for and things that I definitely need to speak up about and next time I'm probably going to get like a doula or maybe have a home birth instead of having to go into that like hospital setting which is already traumatic as it is let alone having to give birth in a hospital setting yeah definitely yeah yeah it's really hard I mean heading into giving birth there is a lot of preparation mental preparation that needs to be done on the on the mother's side but I don't like that translating into saying that when things don't go to plan, then it's your fault. It's not as a result of your lack of preparation. It's just that shit happens all the time. It's just our medical system is failing women left, right and center. Yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like as well, because they warn you about like every single thing that can go wrong with an epidural. Like, why aren't they doing that as well with the induction, like things that they give you? Yeah. And there's a, there's a direct correlation between inductions and then leading to other interventions being necessary, but that's not something that they disclose to women when they're booking them in for their induction. And every single woman who births in the system has an induction date, normally at 40 plus 10 or something like that. Yeah. But that information isn't passed on. We're kind of just left in the dark and left to do our own re- research. Yeah. Like when I was talking to the OB before, like the day I, before I was induced, he had said, oh, well, we don't want people going past 40 plus 10 because then it has higher risk of stillbirth and all of these things. It's like, okay, thanks. Yeah. Because that's exactly what you needed to hear. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What a story you have. Yeah. It's kind of a mess, the entire thing. Oh. How does, um, 
how is your postpartum journey going now? Do you often hark back to your to your loss and your and your birth with with your first baby? Um, yeah, so it's definitely really hard as well. And having brought Henry home, it's like, well, I should have been getting to do this with my last baby and I should have been getting to see him smile for the first time and cry for the first time and all of these things. And so there is moments where I kind of like, oh, well, I wish that I also got to experience this last time, but I don't. But I'm grateful that I finally get to this time. Parenting a rainbow baby, it's like I said before, at every turn you're just faced with something that you don't want to deal with, you know, and happy moments are also sad moments because you're happy that this is happening for you right now, but you're sad that you didn't get it for your previous baby. And it's just never ending. It's just a constant up and down roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, it's definitely all over the place. Do you have, um, do you have any support, any more support around you now than you did with your loss or... Um, yeah. And I also, I suppose after everything that's happened with like my past three pregnancy, I feel a lot more like capable of speaking up about things now because I know like, Hey, if I don't speak up and I don't question things when I should, then things can go wrong. So it's kind of just like questioning every single thing that I need to. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's such a, it's such a hard story, but a beautiful story as well as everything that you've been through, you know? Yeah, thank you. How is your little boy? Um, yeah, he's great, super fat. <laughs> so breastfeeding and everything has gone okay? Um, yeah, it's been all right. Uh, day two, he refused to be put down and, like, go to sleep unless he was sucking on anything. So my nipples ended up bleeding, which wasn't fun. That's painful. Yeah, yeah. But apart from that, everything's been really good. So looking back at your hospital birth with him, at any point now, have you thought about possibly reporting any of the things that happened to you that you weren't happy about or debriefing with somebody from the hospital about, about what happened? Or um, So I did obviously report the midwife that was like told me my baby was going to die. Yeah. Did they did they tell you any, any repercussions or anything that had happened from that or when that midwife, when that other head midwife called you? Um, all she had really told me was that she was going to have a meeting with all of the staff and try and work out something for obviously like people that had lost babies, but I don't really know like if that actually went through and what they ended up putting in place for that. When you reached out to me to tell your story, was there one thing out of your whole story that you really wanted to bring awareness to, that you wanted other people to know about? If you want people to focus on one thing of your story, like a bottom line, what would you say that it that it would be? Um, question everything that doctors are saying to you and things that they want to give you. Just ask for like, well, is there any side effects? And then Take it from there. Don't just take what they originally say to you and be like, okay, this is what needs to happen. I think that it's, um, given everything that you've been through, it's so amazing that you've got that insight now at such a young age because it takes some family and some women years and years and years to come to that frame of mind. But it's so important. And I say that all the time that you need to do your own research. You know, don't take what they're saying as gospel. Don't take what I'm saying as gospel. You need to trust your gut and go out and research for yourself as well. Yeah. 
to figure out what you're comfortable with and, and what you want to do. And you, you never, you always have a choice in everything that is done to you in the hospital system. Yeah. How are you? I guess I want to ask. <laughs> um, bit of a mess at times, but you know, I suppose that's understandable after everything that's happened. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So you're five months into your journey with your little man. Yeah, so five months today. Oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so I suppose, like, now after everything that's happened, um, obviously there's those sad parts when you're like, okay, well, I should have been doing this last time. But overall, that's kind of getting a lot easier now. I suppose the only thing that's kind of been bugging me is Henry's birth, and I've kind of been looking back to it a lot, and I can't. Like, I'm not at that point yet where I can look back and then be like, okay, like, I'm happy with what's happened. And, like, I still haven't watched the birth video because, like, I'm scared to watch it. And that's okay. Like, you don't you don't have to get to a place where you're happy about your birth. You can love your baby and still be unhappy about how he entered the world. You, you may never feel – yeah joy about how he came into the world and that's okay because you didn't have things that happened to you that you wanted you know the things that you wanted were taken away from you and it didn't go to plan and it's okay to feel shitty about that but don't feel don't feel guilty yes. about it because that was out of your control yeah oh well thank you so much for coming on and telling me your entire story I feel so honored to be able to hold this story for you and um it's been lovely to hear you talk about it because I've had a loss as well and it's just so nice to talk to somebody else and and know that some of the things that I went through you've gone through and that they're normal because I feel like that's such a big thing that always comes up is that you don't know whether what you're feeling is right or not until you have these conversations with other people and that's exactly why I wanted to do this podcast is to put these stories out there so that other people can validate their own experiences and know that they're not alone. Yeah, thank you for having me and obviously giving me a space to be able to talk about this. It's been really healing, I suppose, in some ways. Yeah, I hope that it that it has been. I um when I recorded the first podcast episode, which is all my story, it was so therapeutic for me just to completely let let loose and just speak it all out loud and I've written about it so many times on my social media and I've spoken to people about it here and there but just to be able to kind of just spew it all out and let it all go I just felt I felt like such a weight had been lifted afterwards yeah definitely I can totally relate to all of that oh thank you so much thank you